You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, that's exciting, isn't it? Well, I'm excited to be back with you guys after being out for a couple weeks. Brandon saved the best topic for me tonight as we continue this series, Simplify. I, I had two great messages written on the fun topics like raising kids and tonight I get to talk to you about finances. So just to break the ice right there. But first, let's celebrate not only Isaac tonight and Chloe, but Claire, who's going to come right after the message tonight, tonight to be baptized, and Katie Willis. Katie, where are you, hon, if you're here tonight? Not, not, not here tonight. We'll see her in the morning. Where is she? She's hiding. There she is. All right. Congratulations on your baptism this week at camp. Cole Thomas, where's Cole at? Cole, he's with his dad. Great, okay. And then Kaylee, uh, Ashley, where you at, hon? Caitlin, Caitlin, where are you? There you are. All right. I can't read my own writing, but uh, it's good to have the Belvi and the Swearens family with us tonight. Thank you for your prayers. For them and those of you who received Christ tonight or last night at camp, I want you to understand the significance of the decision that you made today. It's a decision that a lady by the name of Mary Swearens made when she was young to receive Christ as Savior and Lord of her life. And so this week, as her husband and as her children and grandchildren watched her pass from this life to the next, they're here tonight because they have great confidence that she's not just in a better place, but she's in heaven where Jesus promised that he would come and take her. And that's why we celebrate when people give their life to Jesus Christ, because it makes all the difference in eternity, in eternity. Well, we're in our final two weeks tonight, and tonight we're looking at one of the subjects that is the most complicated for us, and that is finances. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at how we complicate these things, but how God's plan really simplifies them. And tonight, that's the plan. So when it comes to money, I want to know what are some of the choices that you've made or you, you can make to simplify how you deal with finances? Uh, any, anybody here in, in trying to simplify your finances taking the idea that you need to spend everything that you make? Is that something that we do to simplify our finances? I, it seems to be. It, it seems to be, right? Whatever you make, that's how much you're going to spend. Uh, how many of you go to the pawn shop, right, in advance, you know, to get the check cashed in advance or, or go to the Walmarts and kind of uh, buy against your paycheck so that you can go ahead and spend money before you get it? Maybe, maybe for you it's to work all the overtime you can get so that you can make it while you are able to make it. Well, tonight I want to start out, I want to go backwards. Usually we give you the solution at the end. Tonight I want to talk with you first about three choices that we can make right up front to simplify, to simplify finances. And the first is this, how many of you are familiar with savings, right? Anybody learned at a young age to save? Uh, at the age of seven when I started mowing yards, one of the first things that I did was open an account at Scottsburg Savings and Loan. I still have that account. 40 years later, 
And I would take a portion of the money that I saved and I would set it aside. Why do we save? We save for future expenses. We know that times are going to be tough. Something's going to break. We're going to need something new. School's going to start in a few months. And so we set aside an amount for that future expense. Jesus talked about saving. Jesus said, if you're going to build a house, what should you do? You should plan ahead. You, you don't want to start building that house and not plan and then run out of money. And so what do we do? We plan, we save. And let me suggest to you tonight that 10% is a good place to start with your savings. You make $100, you set aside 10 into your savings for a future expense. Now, the second thing as Christians that we understand that really simplifies our finances is the idea of tithing. Uh, by the way, all three of these I'm sharing with you tonight are commands. They're not suggestions, but they're commands of God, tithing. Now, those of you who've aligned with God's command to bring the best in the first hymn, the first 10% right off the top, what have you experienced? What have you experienced? You can't, can't outgive God. How does that happen? See, anybody figured it out? Well, he promised it this way. He said, stop robbing for me. He said, I want you to take me at my word. In fact, this is kind of a baseline thing when it comes to trust, right? Would you rather trust God with, with your child or would you rather trust him with 10% of your income? You know, when you're just getting to know him. Well, well, income is so much easier to test him with. In fact, it's the only thing that he says we should test him with. And those of us who have, we've experienced his promise. Remember the promise? With the measure you use, that's where we get we can't out give God. With the measure you used, so it will be used for you. Only when God fills that same measure that you use, what does he do? He shakes it together, he packs it down, and it runs over into your lap. We can't outgive God, so we start with 10%. So, so far, we're saving 10%. That simplifies things so that when we have an unexpected expense or even those things that we expect, second, we tithe. We trust God that he's the giver of all things. And third, third, we delay gratification. We delay gratification. We don't spend more than we have on hand. Now, I suggest to you that with the exception of your mortgage, what we should set out to do is we should not use credit cards or purchase things until we've saved up the cash to make the purchase. Anybody here try that one? Now, it's hard. Now, I realize that 60% of our church family, and I love this about our church, it's been this way for the last 17 years, 60% of our church did not grow up in the church. And so this idea of saving, but hopefully you had good parents that taught you how to save, but certainly this idea of tithing, trusting God with the first, well, that's something that, that many, sometimes even those of us who grew up in the church have not committed yet to do. We, we failed to, to keep that command of God. 
And so after spending the first 10 years of your adult life, 20 years of your adult life, spending all that you've got, well, it's really hard to start to line yourself up with God's commands. It's one of the things that we've done that complicates our life. Now, what about delaying gratification? This idea to live in the remaining 80% after saving and tithing. What does that look like? Well, it means that we adjust our lifestyle to fall in line with what we make. The Apostle Paul said, dear friends, I urge you, excuse me, it was Peter who wrote, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Now, we always think about sexual gratification, right, or drunkenness and those desires that well up within us. Well, the desire to have things without the means to purchase them or to go beyond the means that we have is the same type of desire that becomes sinful unless we learn to delay gratification. Now, while we're familiar with these, or maybe you're hearing them for the first night, these commands, one of the challenges for the believer, young and old, is to align ourselves with these commands. And if we don't, then finances are one of those subjects that we hate to discuss until we realize that how we deal with finances is a matter of trust, obedience, and our relationship with him. It might surprise you, as it did me, that Jesus spends more time on the subject of finances and possessions than he does heaven or hell. Why? Because it boils down to the level of trust that we place in his commands, in his plan for our life here. So if you haven't done so already, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, that's in your New Testament towards the back of your Bible. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, we find Jesus surrounded by a crowd. He was always surrounded by a crowd. It was Saturday night all the time when Jesus was in town. And Jesus speaks to this crowd. And it's a familiar one. It's an account that I've taught on probably every year since I've been here. Why? Because this is the broadest account that Jesus gives us, the broadest teaching that he gives us on this subject. Even though 18 of the 36 parables that Jesus, has used, Jesus used while he was here are about this subject. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in this crowd shouts out to Jesus. You talk about starting a conversation with the Savior of the world. Listen to what this guy says. Hey, teacher. And teacher was an appropriate way to address Jesus. Hey, teacher, tell my brother, sounds like brothers fighting, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, that seems kind of a strange way to start a conversation with the Savior of the world, but isn't that how it is? Doesn't it take something in our life to cause us to pause? A relationship failure, a health crisis, to pause and to cry out to Jesus, hey, will you help me with this? Well, that's exactly what this man is doing. For this person in the crowd, it was an issue concerning money. And in this day, we know this, that the firstborn was guaranteed a double a double portion of the family inheritance. When mom or dad 
are gone, then the firstborn, how many firstborns do we have? And can you say amen with me? Right? Double portion. Go home, tell your parents that if you still have them. A double portion, the oldest. So we know this wasn't the oldest that had the question. The brother who's addressing Jesus wasn't the firstborn, but yet he was asking for an equal share. Look at verse 15, how Jesus responds. And this is where I want you to underline. This is where I want you to circle and go back to because I want us to think about this for a little bit. Jesus responds with this, this statement that's familiar to many of us. Beware of all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist of what he possesses. It, it almost sounds like a riddle when he responds to this young man. But I want you to look at this statement that he makes. Man's life does not consist of what he possesses. Now, just over to the side in your Bible, I want you to write this about your life. Is that true? Does your life consist? Is your life based on the things that you possess, the money that you have available to you, the things that you've purchased, the, the value of your home? D does your life consist of what you possess or does it not? Is that a true or a false statement for you? Now, before you answer that out loud, though, I want you to make a quick inventory of your life. Right underneath that, I want you to think about how you spend your time. How much time do you spend washing the car, building the house, redecorating the house, cleaning the house, going to work to pay for the house? spending time on the car. I hate shopping for cars, especially. I can't imagine if we were looking for a car today. Now is the wrong time to buy a car, right? Get some new tires for your car. Try to get it to last a little bit longer because pretty soon all these people bought new cars, they're not going to be able to make the payments and you're going to be able to buy them for half price. Just trust me on that. <laughs> but now's not the time. But, but when I go to look and buy a car, let's say I find one that I like as I have found many of them in years past, you talk about a waste of time, unless you've got a really good salesman, which I haven't met yet. You sit down with that salesman, and you, you just, it's almost like arm wrestling, right? You get dried out. You get hungry. You're there for hours wrestling over the price. He looks at your car. You look at his. He tells you how bad yours is and how wonderful his is. And then once you think you've got somebody, he said, now let's go. We got to go talk to the manager. And they go off to some office, they vape together, smoke cigarette, they drink some cold water. I don't know what they do in there, but they go in there for long enough to make you anxious that that car is going to end up in somebody else's hand if you don't buy it. But the point is, think about how much time we spend. Sometimes I've gotten to the end of a day after doing that. I thought, what in the world am I doing this for? What a waste of time for, for just a, a ride. What do you worry about? The choices that you make and the thought process behind all three. Does your life consist of what you own or what you, you have? I think it was, I've lost track of time, maybe two weeks ago tonight, Teresa Albright had me back in the kitchen slave driving me before I was to get up and preach. <laughs> Back there having me help do something in the kitchen for the teens to eat after church service. 
And I started having this pain. Earl was out there working the grill with me. And she's like, you just keep going. You just keep. Ended up, it was a kidney stone. Three hours. Three hours that day before I came to church. And then it really lit up with her out there having me in the heat grilling. But this kidney stone was on me. And listen, the first thing that I thought of was my insurance deductible. Right? <laughs> I had one of these four years ago. And uh, maybe you're tougher. Uh, well, I know you're tougher than I am. But you have to go and get pain medicine through the IV. And you have to get fluids or you're going to die of that pain. I mean, doesn't matter how long you wait, doesn't matter how much you bear down, doesn't matter how much you grunt or whine around as I did, you're going to have to go. But for hours, I thought, I do not want to spend that money on the ER. I mean, that is not like going to Disney or taking a week on the beach, which is what it costs to go to the ER even after insurance. My point is, is that much of my life I'll admit it. The decisions that I make flow through this filter of how much is it going to cost? And, and even if I have it, which I do because I save and I tithe, and even though I have it, I worry about how much this will impact what I'll have tomorrow. Will I have enough? I'm already worried about college. I'm worried about weddings. worried about all of these things paying for my own funeral, which is just around the corner if I keep having kidney stones. <laughs> but I want to ask you, isn't it true that much of our lives today is driven by what we possess? And herein lies the problem, the complication. And so Jesus uses a story. He uses a parable to illustrate several important lessons for, in fact, when it comes to simplifying this aspect of our life. Look at verse 16. He tells this illustration. It's a story. He says, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? Is that what your first thought would be? <laughs> I look at the farmers today, and you talk about a tough, tough thing, right? The Democrats have got all this climate change going on, and and, and things are drying up, and you, you just don't... No, it's not drying up. It's all fine, everybody. But farmers have it tough. They, they, they plant the seed, and then they have to wait and see if God's going to bless it and, and let it grow. And so this guy, he has a good crop. The yield was thousands of bushels, I would say. And his first question is, what will I do? But nonetheless, Jesus says this was his problem. He said, I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, the thing when we're looking at Scripture is sometimes not only what it says, which is of the utmost importance, you can't argue with it. But notice sometimes what Scripture doesn't say. N notice he doesn't say, thank you, God, for this amazing yield. 
I've agonized over this, God, ever since we planted this back two months ago. The weather's been crazy. The tractor was old. I think the goats ate half of it. But he didn't say, God, you've been so good. Thank you. He didn't say, I have more than I need for my family. For once, the kids will get new shoes to go to school. For once, we'll have enough to feed the livestock. He didn't say, I have more than I need, and so I'm going to take some time with my family. And I'm going to deepen our relationship because I won't ever get this time back with my kids. Instead, his first thought was, what am I going to do? My barns aren't big enough. Now, Jesus isn't teaching us here that it's wrong to increase yield or to build warehouses or to have abundance. It's not wrong to do any of those things. The problem is when the primary focus of our life is on what we have as it was for this man. This man's farm mattered more than his family. This man's man's grain was more important than his God. His possessions were his what? His ultimate goal. And when our possessions take center stage in our life, what happens? Everything else gets skewed. Everything. Our time with family. Think about the time that possessions or earning enough money to have them takes away from your family. Think about your health, the enjoyment of your work. How many of you are doing a job? I I did that for 15 years. Yes, I had a great job, but it was not a job that I really enjoyed. But it supplied all that we needed. Think about that. We choose work over worship. We we trust God less and we trust ourselves more. We worry, we stress. Fatigue becomes problems. You see, when money or possessions distract us from God, things get complicated in a hurry. And this is where this farmer, this is where this farmer finds himself. He's in a complicated situation. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is that everything we have, including the ability to produce wealth, the Bible says, comes from where? Comes from our Harvard education? No. No. Comes from our strong work ethic? That doesn't hurt anything, but no. Everything we have comes from God. You see, we say my car, but that car a few years from now is going to be somebody else's car. I say my house. Well, it's my house after 30 years of payments. And there's that sense of it being my house. I remember a few years after my grandparents died, I talk about my grandparents on my father's side of the family a lot because I spent a lot of time with them. I watched their moves. I I watched their faith. And within two years after both of them being gone, I drove over to the farm that they lived on, went to see the old house, and I used to just drive around the field, the the lane that went back through the field. It's 170 acres or something like that. And I would just go back, and I would remember those times spent. You know what happened when I went back those two years? The house, it was gone. The landscape of the land was completely changed. Where the house was 
was now the field. And where the field was, there were now huge houses taking its place. We say, this is my body, but this isn't my body. We're just living in it. When we die, it's going to return to dust. You and I, we are just temporarily borrowing these things from God. Now, that makes how we view money and possessions very important. See, I'm not saying that money and possessions aren't important. In fact, they are just the opposite. They are very important because... Because we're going to be accountable to God someday for the way that we use what he's given us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It's required that everyone who has been given a trust must be proved faithful. And you see, God isn't only interested in what you give back to him. But God is interested in how you earn money how you invest money, how you share money, how you loan money, and what you purchase with money, the importance that you give money over the other things that you've been entrusted with. It's a test of our character. It's a reflection of our relationship with him. So where are you at right now with God in relationship to this trust? That's the question. Here's the second simplifying reality that Jesus gives us through this parable. And that is that money can be helpful in life. And it is. Some would say it's even a necessity. Money can be helpful in life. But it's, it's of no benefit in the ultimate issues of life like when you die. Jesus said, what shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And that's what Jesus was saying about this farmer in verse 20. Read with me. You fool, Jesus says. This very night your life will be required of you. Then who's going to get everything you've plotted for yourself? And then Jesus finished. This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Anybody remember the story of the stockbroker who came across a genie? Boy, don't you wish that was a reality, that all the junk stores we go to and look at things, that you could find one of those little, those little things and rub it, and out would come this, this genie, and they would say, you've got three wishes, right? Don't, don't abuse them, but anything you wish for. And in this case, in this case, this stockbroker was given one wish the stockbroker, he was smart. He said, that's simple. I want a newspaper. I want a newspaper for one year from today. You know what he was going to do. He was going to go and he was going to look at the stock market page. And based on what it said one year from today, he was going to make investments today and it'd make him a multi-millionaire. And so that was his wish. Those were his investments. And so as he was sitting there thinking about how wealthy he was going to be, he went ahead and turned through the pages until he got to that page that when you're 60 or 70, you start looking at first, right? The obituary page and whose picture and whose name was there a year from that day. Well, it was his. What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus said, you fool, you fool. Boy, that's a strong word. Why would he say that? What's he really saying to this man? 
What makes it foolish? What makes it foolish to work hard and to grab hold of these things? And, 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 and no, you know, tie, that's all that the church wants is your money. So, so just keep that for yourself. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is think about the things that weren't receiving the farmer's attention while he was worrying about his bigger barns. What wasn't getting his attention? His kids weren't getting his attention. His wife wasn't getting his attention. Church wasn't getting his attention. His neighbors weren't getting his attention. Nothing else was. That's what made him a fool. In verse 22, Jesus continues, and you've heard this before from the Beatitudes in Matthew. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body. I don't worry about what I eat at all. <laughs> what you'll wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. I get my clothes at Walmart. I don't know about you. Me and one of the 70-year-olds that comes on Sunday, well, he's probably 80 now, he says, Dave, we've got matching shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Something to be proud of. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Notice Jesus uses the most basic. The most basic needs as an example. And, and what he's telling us, what he's telling us is that he has every detail covered. You learn to trust him with the little things. You learn to trust him with your daily needs. And then you can embrace the important things he's given you, like life and family and purpose. This is the relationship that he wants us to have with him. And in verse 29, that's exactly what he's ultimately leading us to. He says, don't set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. The world runs after these things. And listen, Christians, more than ever, we need to stand apart from the world. More than ever. The world's going one way. And if you don't set the example, many people that you work with, some of your own family members are going to spend eternity in hell because you could care less about these little things that God asks of you today because they're really big things. Don't set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. The world runs after these things, but you seek God's kingdom, and then these other things will be given to you as well. I love that verse because it's true. It's an equation that you can take to the bank. You align yourself with God's precepts and his commands for your life. You live for him and by his direction for you, teens and adults, and he will give you what it is that you've longed for all along. Only it comes in season. It comes in a way that you can recognize it. What you give up, you actually receive back better. And that's the third thing we find in Jesus' story is that God is at work in finances. He uses finances. He uses possessions. He uses this desire that we have for things. He uses finances to build trust. And so our responsibility is to lean into God and build trust. 
Jesus points out in this story that this farmer, who's now referred to as a rich fool, trusted only himself. Notice how many times he used the word I or my in this account. There's something else you can circle. If you want to, you can add them up. I counted 20. Now, I don't know new math like you guys do. Maybe you come up with 55. But I came up, I came up with in 20 seconds or less, he uses the word I or my 20 times. What's that mean? He believed. He believed that he was the one responsible for providing, for providing for all of his needs. He believed that the more he accumulated, the more that he could control the future, yet just the opposite was true. <laughs> he had it all. But God said, your life's going to be required of you tonight. You see, the more we accumulate, have you noticed the less secure that you feel? Uh, I have. Uh, I've done really well at saving over my life. But you know what? I don't feel any better now than I did when I was 20 and had, a, I don't know, a 14th or a 10th or a 20th of what I've got now saved up because it costs a whole lot more to live today. The more we accumulate, the less secure we feel. The more we have, the more we have to worry about. I paid insurance this month. It's a good thing I set aside, I think I set aside $300 a month now for insurance. Between three cars, a house, not to mention health insurance. The more we have to keep up, the more we have to paint, the more we have to mow, the more we have to remodel, the more we have to guard. Think about it. We think the more that we have, the more secure we're going to feel. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said being kidnapped and held for ransom never worried a poor man. In fact, he went on to say that the abundance of the rich man prevents, or permits him no sleep. Jesus said, don't put your trust in yourself and your possessions. Put your trust in God. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds and takes care of them, and what? You are more valuable than these birds. The raven was a detestable bird in the Bible. It was a scavenger. It was the trash collector. Yet God saw to it that even the ravens had enough to eat in the day. The raven sure as heck didn't stay up all night worrying about what he was going to eat because God provided for them. God provides for them, and he'll provide for you, Jesus says. Now, there are two facts, though, about birds that we need to keep in mind. First, birds work. The bird didn't sit in the nest all day with his beak open saying, okay, God, fly one in for me here. Drop the worm. Instead, what happens? Those of you who get up early when the sun does, what do you see? You see them all out. The early bird gets the what? The worm. They're out foraging. Second, birds plan ahead. They save. You watch in late October, early November, the birds begin planning their trip to Florida like all the old people do. <laughs> because they know they better plan ahead. Cold weather's coming. It's appropriate for us to plan ahead and save. We need to save for repairs. We need to save for education. We need to save for retirement. But after you plan and work, Eventually, we have to trust God. Why? Because you can't plan and work enough. 
to plan for all of the unforeseen things that come in our life. Alzheimer's, accidents, recessions, nursing homes. We can't cover all of that. At some point, all of us have to reach the point where we say, I'm going to trust God to take care of me. And when we finally reach that point, then we focus on the other roles that God's given us as friends, as parents, as his church. Jesus put it this way in verse 27, consider the lilies of the field. They don't labor or spin, and yet Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you, of little faith? Before we wrap up, I want to go back to something that the farmer said, the rich farmer, the fool said, when he was consumed with what to do with the abundance of his crops. Look at verse 18. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. I'll store all my grain and my goods. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I don't want to read too much into this. Preachers get in trouble for doing that because they start making up things. But is it possible? Is it possible that this man actually sees that his focus on his possessions is a problem. Is it possible that he is so deep into it, he isn't sure how to change it? I think he sees that what started out as a good thing, growing his farming, expanding, building bigger buildings over the years. What started out as a good thing was getting to be a burden. And so he says, I, I've got plenty. I've got plenty of things laid up for the future. Now it's time for me to eat and to drink and to spend time. But he was afraid. He couldn't let himself. He had both hands tightly grasping what he had. I know at times I've got both hands holding on tight to the things that I've been given. And here's the lesson that I've come to learn, and that is if you want to simplify your finances, it all comes back to this. You have to let go. You have to let go. Yes, you go out and you work, you forage, you plan, but you trust God. You trust God and you let it go. You let those things that are just just right there wanting your, your money <laughs> that aren't necessary. All of us right now have both hands full of stuff. I'm convinced of that. If you're like half of the people in this room, your closets are so full of clothes, yet you never have anything to wear. How many of you has got storage units out there Storage units that are, you're paying monthly fees for that you, you very rarely access. I, I was with somebody this week. I can't remember who you were. I apologize. But, but you said, uh, oh, I know who it was now. She said, I've got stuff in my, in my garage that's still in the box from when we moved here however many years ago. Right? 
We're building bigger houses with bigger utility bills and taxes. The majority of families both are working. And you know what? If you want, both of you want to go to work, good for you. That, that's okay. Nobody's saying, don't go to work. But I want you to think about it. Both of you are working to do what? To pay the payments. To let someone else raise your children. You eat fast food that costs four times as much as a healthy meal at home. We have schedules and commitments and very little margin for what matters most. My question is, why do we have both hands so tightly clasped, both hands so full? Well, it's because we're afraid. We're afraid if we let go, we won't have enough. Or that life will be so different that we won't be able to live. But I want you to listen to what the richest man who ever lived wrote. No one else will ever be as wealthy. He said, better is one handful with tranquility than two hands full with toil and chasing after the wind. And that's exactly where Jesus lands this story in verse 32. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. I love it when he calls us that. It's a term of endearment. It's like when I say to my daughter, sweetheart, right? They, they, they may think that that sounds weird, but that... That is the softest, sweetest term that I can call my girls by. And Jesus speaks to the church. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. The Father's pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven. Let go. Don't be afraid. Why? Because everything the Father has is yours. Remember, we can't outgive him. He gives us every good and perfect thing. We have to let go of what's in our hands, though, to take hold of what God's giving us. You ever thought about that? If both hands are so tightly clenched to what we have, how do we, how do we grab hold without letting go? Jesus said, if you let go, I'll give you two things. Did you notice? Now, some of you guys may not be worried about a purse, but Jesus says you'll have purses that don't wear out. What's he saying? Well, he did this for the Israelites, if you remember. Remember their shoes never wore out 40 years in the desert? <laughs> how, how many of us, as shared with a young couple this week in marriage counseling, how many of us who have really trusted God, has he not, has he not helped at times when we see others running out and having so little. I remember when the pandemic hit and so many were laid off and told not to come to work. There wasn't a family in this fellowship that went without. I could count on one finger, I think. I think there was only one, if that, that was laid off. Why is that? Why is that? Because you'll have purses that don't wear out. The supernatural will come to play. The second thing he promises, you will lay up treasure in heaven. You, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And this is where it is. Listen, he says where your treasure is, he says you lay up treasure in heaven, where your treasure is what? Your heart will follow. Your heart will follow. You see, if your treasure isn't in heaven, if your priority isn't him and his kingdom, then you're not going to be there. 
That's a sad reality. So let go. Now, friends, the world will say you're foolish. And you know what? I'm really okay with that. The world will say you're foolish. But we know that life lived within God's precepts is far more simple than life lived outside of his commands. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, my hope for this church family this weekend, man, it has been so exciting to see these young people come to Christ and to see more come tomorrow. I, I think, Father, in the time that I've been here, these are the most baptisms that we've had in a weekend. And you know we don't hold them up. We don't bottle them up. We give the opportunity every week, every time your word is preached, for people to respond to you. And people are responding to you. They recognize their need for you. And Father, help us that are now walking with you. Help these young people that are now trusting you to align with all of your precepts, not just for this area of our life, but with all of them. Beginning with the first and most important, and that is to always put you first. To always, to always put you first. And Father, for those tonight for which you are not their Lord and Savior, I pray that you'd give them courage like, like Caitlin had at camp this week to step out to take that next step to surrender their life to you, that they can be empowered by your spirit, which allows us, allows all of these things that you command to be part of our life. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be over here if you'd like to talk more.